So Father in heaven, for this brief session and for this afternoon of sessions, we ask for your grace. Brood in this assembly with the power of your spirit. Open our minds, open and shape our hearts. Help us to see and savor Jesus in the word, make applications to our lives, and bless us now in these coming moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the most controversial issues in missions today is speed. How fast will the lost come to faith? And how soon will new churches be able to plant new churches? And how quickly will a new believer be able to move into a leadership role? And how long should cross-cultural missionaries work on learning a language? And in our times, we do well to carefully interrogate our assumptions about speed and pace. Our internal speedometers are being conditioned by the quickening pace of modern life and the rapid flow of our technological innovations. And so, in our age of accelerations, pressing questions relate to speed, not just for effective Christian mission, but for the healthy Christian life. Will we be driven by the hurried pace of our world, or with the help of God's Word and His Spirit in the life of the church, will we find a more timeless and human pace, a pace that has produced health and fruit across the ages? In his little book on missions called Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global, Andy Johnson says this, he says, the work of missions is urgent, but it's not frantic. That's good. And the same is true about the Christian life and the health and the growth of our own souls, which is what we turn to in these few minutes together this afternoon. So what I want us to do in these few moments is sit together at the feet of Jesus and consider the pace and the patterns of his life in ministry. Jesus was not idle. He was not lazy, nor was he frantic. From all we can tell from the Gospels, Jesus' days were full. I think it would be fair to say he was busy. But he was not frenzied. He lived to the full, yet he never seemed to be in a hurry. I can't think of any story in the life of Jesus where he's hurried. Not even when a 12-year-old girl's about to die and they're trying to rush Jesus off to her. Even then, he's not in a hurry. In Jesus, we observe a human life with holy patterns and habits, rhythms for retreating from society and then re-entering to do the work of ministry. 
even as God himself, in human flesh, Jesus prioritized time away with his Father. He chose again and again in his perfect wisdom and love to give his first and best moments to seeking his Father's face. And if Jesus, even Jesus, carved out such space in the demands and the pressures of his human life, what might we learn from him? And how might we do likewise? Now, we only have glimpses of Jesus' habits and his personal spiritual practices, but what we do have is by no accident, and it's not scant. We know exactly what God means for us to know, and in just the right detail, and we have far more about Jesus' personal spiritual practices than we do about anyone else in the Bible. We have essentially nothing from Paul or Moses. And you can read between the lines on David through the Psalms, but we have far more from the four Gospels on Jesus. And the picture we have of Christ's habits is not one that is foreign to our lives and our experience and our world, but rather we find in Jesus timeless and transcultural postures that can be imitated and applied by any follower of Jesus anywhere in the world at any time in history. Now before sharing three of them. Let me just give a caution about coming to the Gospels to imitate the example of Jesus. The Gospels are not first and mainly written that we would imitate Jesus' example. He is first and foremost a gift personified of divine grace for sinners. First, we receive Him as gift, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And then, seeing Him savoring Him, wanting to live like Him, we watch His example, we try to learn from Him. So what might be those timeless and transcultural postures of life in Jesus? Let me point out just three in our few minutes together. Number one, Jesus retreated and re-entered. This is an amazing pattern to see in the Gospels once you notice it. He retreated and re-entered. That is, he made a habit of withdrawing from the world and from the engagements of fruitful ministry and then re-entering to do more good. And so too, the healthy Christian life is like this. It's neither solely solitary, nor is it constantly corporate. We learn to withdraw like Jesus to a desolate place to commune with God, and then we return to the bustle of daily tasks and seeking to meet the needs of others. We carve out a season for spiritual respite in some momentarily sacred space to feed our souls, enjoying God there in the stillness. And then, refilled, we enter back in to be light, to be bread for the hungry and harassed and helpless world. For Christ, the wilderness or the desolate place 
That's the recurring language in the Gospels. The desolate place often became his momentarily sacred space when he would get away from people. He regularly escaped the noise and the frenzy of society to be alone with his father where he could give him his full attention and his undivided heart. And there is, of course, that memorable story in Mark chapter 1. I'm sure many of you know it. After his fame spread everywhere the day before, and the whole city is gathered together at the door at Peter's house, Jesus takes this remarkable step the next morning. Got to see this in context. Takes this unusual step. He's up before the sun the next day, and he slips away out of town to restore his soul in secret communion with his father. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, given the fruitfulness of the previous day, some of us might scratch our heads. What a ministry opportunity Jesus seemed to leave behind when he leaves town. This is a town swelling with people now interested in him and his teaching and his ministry. Surely some of us would have skipped morning devotions or really shortened the time to meet the needs of the swelling masses. How many of us in such a situation would have the presence of mind and heart to discern the moment and prioritize prayer? like Jesus did. The Gospel of Luke also makes this unmistakable as a pattern in Jesus' life, this retreat and re-entry as part of this ongoing dynamic of Jesus' human life. Luke chapter 4 verse 42 says, Jesus departed and went out into a desolate place. Not just once, he does this regularly, like Luke 5, 16. He would withdraw, that is, as a pattern. He would withdraw to desolate places to pray. And so also in Matthew chapter 14, after the death of John the Baptist, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But even then, the crowds pursued him. He goes off, here they come. And he doesn't despise them. Here he puts his desire on hold and he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. And then after feeding them 5,000 strong, he withdraws again to a quiet place. So Matthew 14, verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Which leads into a second principle. Not just that he withdrew, but why? Why did he withdraw? What did Jesus do when he withdrew from the masses? So number two, Jesus withdrew to commune with his father. He withdrew to commune with his father. He got away from the distractions and the demands of daily life to focus on and hear from and pray to his father. At times, Jesus went away by himself. He went away alone. All his disciples, they saw him go, he went, he came back. But he also drew others into his life of prayer. 
So his disciples saw him model prayer at his baptism, and as he laid his hands on children, and as he casts out demons. And Jesus brought his disciples into communion with his Father. He drew them in. Even when he prayed alone, his disciples might be nearby. It's a very strange text in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. How's that work? He's praying alone and the disciples are with him. I guess they're over here. He steps away from them just a little bit. He's praying alone. The disciples are still with him. Very similar dynamic in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, which leads into a third and final principle. So number one, Jesus retreated and re-entered. Number two, he withdrew to commune with his Father. And then third and finally, Jesus taught his disciples to do the same. He didn't only retreat to be alone with God. He also taught his disciples this dynamic of retreat and return, of communion with God and returning to show compassion to others. He he brought that into their own lives, most memorably in Mark chapter 6. This is Mark 6, 31 to 32. Jesus invites his men to join him. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. And Mark explains, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So too, in the Gospel of John, as Jesus' fame is spreading, he retreats from more populated settings to invest in his men in more desolate, less distracting places. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches all his hearers, us included, to give without show, to fast without publicity, and to find our private place to seek our Father's face. Matthew 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is that reward? It's not not material stuff later on. God sees you praying alone, He'll give you material things later. It's not what it is. The reward is what you're seeking in the moment. That in going to the secret place, in getting away to spend time with your Father, He loves to meet you in those moments reward you with his presence, his communion, his nearness. When you go to be alone, to not actually be alone in the end, but with him. So Jesus made a habit of retreating from the demands and the pressures of everyday life and ministry. And he did so to commune with his father, to hear his voice, to respond in prayer, And then Jesus re-entered society to bless and teach and show compassion and love and do good. And he taught his disciples the same pattern and habits. Let me close then by asking about your pace and your patterns. First about pace, ask yourself, how deeply 
do the world's assumptions and expectations about speed and about productivity affect my life and my ministry? How hurried is my life? Am I living at the pace of the world or a pace that is informed and set and recalibrated by God's Word? And about your patterns. How about rhythms of retreat and re-entry? Do you get away daily to commune with God in His Word and in prayer in an unhurried and even leisurely way, resting your soul, restoring your joy, feeding your heart in the grace of His presence through His Word? And what are your patterns? or your rhythms of life for retreating from the noise of this world to focus on and to hear from God, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom He has sent, so that you might then go back and re-enter to meet the needs of others. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, in a room like this with thousands of different needs related to communing with you and the pressures of speed and pace and the need for life-giving patterns that would bring health and peace and joy to our hearts and souls and make our ministries effective for decades. We ask that you now would give the grace of vision, of application, of long-term patterns that would sustain our souls, and that we would learn to meet with you like your son in human flesh did, carving out the space, carving out the time to rest and restore our souls in the patterns of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.